strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I want to remind you, we've got two great new shows in the afternoons uh, here this week. They started on KTAR News, the Chris and Joe show from 2 to 4 p.m., followed by Outspoken with Bruce and Gatos from 4 to 7 p.m. You can listen at, at 92.3 FM, or you could also listen and watch on the KTAR News app and KTAR.com. I still forget we have these these cameras in the room until someone sends me a message and asks me why I'm singing in the studio with the microphone off. Um, I appreciate you being here. We've got to get back to this. I want you to hear uh, uh, President Biden defending himself yesterday in this DOJ report. The DOJ report, and I'm going to just the quote for me that is the most damning as far as the election is concerned, is one of the reasons that they did not file charges. The same reasons why they didn't file charges against Hillary Clinton. When the, This wasn't the DOJ at the time. This was the FBI director talking about Hillary Clinton. They went through the laundry list of things they believe laws that she violated violated or how she violated the law. And then they said, we don't believe we have a reasonable expectation of conviction. They've said the same thing about the president, that he willfully kept documents, which is a violation of the law. And that, you know, one thing to be vice president doing it, completely different being a senator doing it. They are members of Congress have have to go to a skiff like an FBI agent does, like someone that works for any of the three letter agencies has to. So we willfully kept documents. But one of the reasons why they weren't outside of them trying to press charges against the sitting president is he might come across to a jury as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. That is rough. That is rough. President said he sat with the DOJ and he sat with them for quite a while. I was so determined to give the special counsel what he needed. I went forward with a five hour in person, five hour in person interview over two days on October the 8th and 9th of last year, even though Israel had just been attacked by Hamas on the 7th and I was very occupied. He says that nothing is wrong with his memory. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? He then goes and says the reason why those documents were kept, where they were kept, and the way they were kept, not his fault. I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing. It goes in and points out. Things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved not by me, but my staff. So I want to address that for a moment because I have a little insight knowing people that have had very high level security clearances and talking with them, not about specifics of cases, but about the difficulties in those clearances. And what I mean by that is going into that that room, that skiff to read classified documents. The president of the United States, vice president to some degree, it's different for them because they are so mobile. They are almost like a mobile skiff where I would imagine there are secure ways for them to see classified documents anytime that a president or a vice president, as much as they travel the world, doesn't need to go to a special room to see a classified document. But as a senator, you certainly do. As a member of the House, you certainly do. 
classified documents are put in a classified document room called a skiff and you don't have them emailed to you. Nobody puts them in a secure folder and brings them to your office, or your house. You have to physically go and see those documents. Those documents have to remain in those rooms. They cannot be moved digitally, which is what Hillary Clinton did. And I go back to that because we understand that this is not an isolated situation. That We have found out that these documents have been compromised. The average person that has a security clearance, if they did what these high-level people have done, including the former Secretary of State and Hillary Clinton, they would have had their their, uh, security clearance yanked, and they would have been fired. I know that, and I've heard that from many people that are apolitical on the issue. That is one of the things you learn about a security clearance is sharing of information or compromising of information. That is, this is certainly a compromising of information. So um, he talked about how he's I'm bouncing back and forth in his speech, but how his case differs because former President Trump was charged. This president will not be special counsel wrote, and I quote, several material distinctions between Mr. Trump's case and Mr. Biden's are clear, continuing to quote, most notably after giving multiple chances to return classified documents to avoid prosecution. Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. So fair enough. And again, that's that that is a fair distinction. But there is no doubt that the the president of the United States after his vice presidency and is going all the way back to the 1970s in his time in the Congress had documents that were classified that he was not supposed to have in an unsecure location where he wasn't supposed to have them. They did not prosecute partially because, again, a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. So he was asked. He was asked about his his age, and this is his response. Mr. President, for months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Watch Many me. American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your is judgment. That is not the judgment concerns. of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? What What is your answer? Because I'm the white person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. So he's defending himself. Then a reporter asked him, um, they went on to ask him about being called an elderly man. Something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. That's How totally bad is your memory? And can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's uh, that's that's. Your memory has gotten worse, Mr. President. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory. Take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. President, Mr. President, voters have concerns about your age. How are you going to dissuade them? And do you fear that this report is only going to fuel further concerns about your age? Only by some of you. Mr. President, Mr. President. 
So the questions now are not being raised by the media. They've been raised by this president's Department of Justice. There is a clear distinction between what happened to President Trump, um, which I thought was horrible. And I hate this. I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't want to see Joe Biden reelected as president. It has nothing to do with his memory. It has everything to do with me disagreeing with his policies. I'm on the opposite side of the political aisle from President Biden. That doesn't mean that I want to see the president of the United States pictured around the world as a feeble, I'm going to read the quote again, a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. That is not the power of the presidency in the United States. And he made mistakes in this press conference. He confused the president of Mexico and the leader of Egypt. Uh, He does, and you know, people make mistakes. I make mistakes. I misspeak. That happens to people. We've seen clear differences in some of the behaviors of this president. They're used as a joke and a punchline, and people joke about them sometimes, and people having to help him off stage and do other things. The message that this is sending today to our enemies, what does this say to China, who I don't necessarily think wants a physical war with us, but I'll bet you the Iranians do. What what are the Iranians telling their militant groups across the Middle East that have attacked American assets? What kind of message does it send to our enemies? What kind of message does it send to our allies? If you're Ukraine and you are asking NATO and you are asking the U.S. and you're asking for help and money and arms and what kind of a message does this send? What is Vladimir Putin saying to Russian citizens? What, what are the North Korean leaderships? What, what are they saying to their citizens? What is happening across the Middle East and the enemies of the U.S. and the enemies of Israel? These are important things in our country. And it's not going away. It's not going any, away anytime soon. And I don't know what this does to the chances of this president being reelected. We are going to see. We're going to shift to the other side of the political aisle. The Supreme Court is taking up the case of whether or not Colorado can throw the, the former president off the ballot. We're going to get to that conversation and what their decision might be in just a moment. You can't touch this. Can't touch this. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. My, 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 my music hit me so hard. Makes me say, oh my Lord, thank you for blessing me. What am I doing? All right. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, Wall Street. uh, I'm sorry. The Washington Post story. Four key takeaways. The Supreme Court arguments in the Trump ballot case. The justices appear inclined to let Trump run for president. The question here is about the insurrection. This 14th Amendment question, um, uh, Section three about the insurrection. Now, originally, we know we all know what this was about. This was post-Civil War so that people that were a part of the southern part of the insurrection of the Civil War could not be elected to office. And so this was a big piece of this. What does this mean? Uh, Interestingly enough, Justice Kagan asked the question about why should one state be able to decide what the rest of the country is going to do? Shouldn't this be handled federally? And it's one of the the hills they have to climb in this case in order to get something done. so I want you to hear some of this. Uh, Jason Murray, uh, the Colorado lawyer, wants to know if there's a presidential exemption. He says Section 3 disqualifies all oath-breaking insurrectionists, except a former president who never before held other state or federal office. 
There is no possible rationale for such an exemption. So Justice Kagan asks the question I was just talking to you about. I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. Now, you know, obviously, Justice Kagan, not known as a conservative justice, and she's asking serious constitutional questions. Let's go to Justice Kavanaugh. What about the idea that um, we should think about democracy, think about the right of the people to elect uh, candidates of their choice, uh, of letting the people decide? And uh, so uh, Trump counsel asks a question about insurrection. Even if the candidate is an admitted insurrectionist, Section 3 still allows the candidate to run for office and even win election to office. So if a state banned even an admitted insurrectionist from the ballot, it would be adding to and altering the Constitution's qualifications for office because under Section Section 3 cannot be used to exclude a presidential candidate from the ballot, even if that candidate is disqualified from serving as president under Section 3. Because Congress can lift that disability after the candidate is elected, but before he takes office. So it looks as if from people that are uh, observers of this and understanders of the law and the justices on the Supreme Court, it seems as if, if not all, most justices are very skeptical of what Colorado is doing. What would this mean if they say to Colorado that you cannot decide that this president can't be on the ballot? If that's the case and he must remain on the ballot, you know, the other states that are considering this or trying to do this are going to have to step away from that as well. It's the it is the the ripple effect of these decisions. It is more than just one case. It has effects on other cases in the future and sometimes in the past. But this is a, a long line of things that I have disagreed with. And this has been a problem on both sides of the political aisle. But if you go through what President Trump has set himself up as when he as uh, is that he has said during his campaign and during his presidency, what he has said to his supporters is they're not after me. They're after you. I'm just in their way. And the more that these things happen, I think there are more and more people that believe that to be true, whether the facts are the facts. But perception is reality. And that I'm just telling you, I'm giving you an observation that when uh President Trump has classified documents and he's charged and President Biden has classified documents, but he's not. They say, well, the the qualification, the clarification is that Trump was given plenty of opportunities to give the documents back and he didn't. That's why we charged him in the minds of the American people. It looks like two different justice systems. Hillary Clinton wasn't charged for keeping classified documents in an unclassified way and distributing them in unclassified or I should say unsecured servers. So there's a perception there in the minds of some, not everyone in the minds of some. Is this setting up the victim mentality again? If this Supreme Court, because constitutionally there's no reason in their minds to keep uh, the former president off the ballot, does this not add into that argument that they're just trying to get him excluded from the office by any means necessary? I'll give you an, an example on the other side that I've used before. When Barack Obama was elected president of the United States, I thought at the time, and I still believe, that um, 
John McCain was a much better candidate. It was certainly a lot more qualified when it came. There were wars being fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't think there's another person that knew foreign policy in this country better than John McCain. Barack Obama ran a great campaign connecting the economy at the time, which was in a really bad place, connecting the Bush economy to what would be the McCain economy. And the American people chose Barack Obama to be president. During that time, there were many people in my party that were trying to get him excluded from the office by saying he wasn't born here. There were investigations into his birth certificate. They were trying to find a technicality to get him out of the office. I said early on, I said it during the Obama presidency, that we on my side of the aisle should be focused on why the American people elected him in the first place and stop trying to find technicalities to get rid of him. And the same thing continues to happen here. And if they go after Joe Biden and they try to do the 25th Amendment thing to the president now, to President Biden, I think it's the same thing. It's a technicality issue. Um, He's not incapacitated. Do I think he should be doing the job? No. Do I think the DOJ was right in what they said? Yes, I do. But the American people elected Joe Biden over Donald Trump. If you're on my side of the aisle, the question is, why? Why would they do that? And so for the people on the left that are now trying to, once again, whether it's impeachment or it's uh, trials or it's this throwing him off the ballot, why don't you let the people decide? And if the people decide that he's a better option, you need to go back and figure out why people believe he's a better option. I, I don't agree with it when my side of the aisle does it. I think trying to find that technicality lets you get away from the fact that you lost to somebody that you believe you shouldn't have lost to. And I don't think it's the right way to behave. Coming up, we're going to go back to the border issue. We talked with Congressman Juan Siscomani this morning. And Senator Lindsey Graham said that this bill, the bill that was co-constructed by Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, doesn't go far enough. We've got details next. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. You know, the sad part with the state of education now, this is a final exam for a master's degree in political science. Um, thanks for being here. If you don't remember these old videos, they were fun. Um, all right, we have got to get to this border issue. Um, and we've been talking about it for days now, ever since the uh, the um, text of this was put out. Uh, we had Senator Sinema on. She's very upset that it didn't move forward to debate where they could debate the war, the merits of the bill. She has a partner in that uh, being upset with Brandon Judd, who is the head of the Border Patrol Council, which is the union that represents rank and file Border Patrol agents. So I want you to hear, we're going to get to Representative Siskamani. Now, Juan Siskamani from Southern Arizona is someone I turn to on the issue because he has a more comprehensive view than many other people. On the border security issue, and he's the one that talks about three buckets. He did it again today. He clarified it very well in a speech I saw him give. There are three things that in the border conversation, one of them is immigration, one is border security, and one is commerce and trade. All three are independent of each other. They all work together, but they all have unique ways of solving any problem there. Now, on the commerce and trade part of this, Mexico has surpassed China as being our biggest trading partner. So the implications of the other two, border security, and immigration play a huge part in the U.S. economy. We're going to get to Representative Siskamani in a moment. But I, I, want, um, I want you to hear uh, Senator Graham talking about killing this bill. 
They're not killing Ukraine aid. It means they've got to negotiate more on the border. And that's where the issue is. He said that it didn't go far enough. Um, he was very upset. He accused the senator, senator of, I don't know if I can say the word, but half, uh, half you know what, the border effort. And Senator Sinema very upset about that and as I went after him and saying that this should have gone for debate. Now, this is the conversation. And I've heard it now from all sides. I've heard Senator Sinema come on and talk about what was in it. I have also heard Brandon Judd from the Border Patrol Council come in and say, yes, there are some very good things that are better than what we have now that would be very good tools. And he even went as far as to say one of the things he likes about what this piece of legislation was due, it would hamstring or handcuff, as he said, handcuffed bad decisions from bad administrations. And he called the current administration bad on the border. And he claims that this if passed, would stop them from some of their bad border border policies through legislation. I asked Representative Siskamani this morning why he is against this piece of legislation. I felt that this falls way short to what's necessary right now. This bill to me is more about managing the border crisis and actually stopping the border crisis on uh, an immediate and tough basis. So it is uh, in his mind, it's management versus and and I'm going to go back to Brandon Judd for a moment when we had Brandon Judd on the show. And you can catch all of these interviews are available for you to hear at KTAR.com on the podcast. You can go to the KTAR News YouTube channel and see all of our interviews there. Um, and I, I hope you will go and hear them in their entirety. But uh, Representative Siskamani saying that this is about management. Brandon Judd was what w- talked about numbers and said, here's the number of five thousand that we would be stopping and once we reach five thousand people that are presenting themselves the border automatically shuts down after seven days of five thousand people and it doesn't reopen until that number drops to 3500 a day so you could have uh, hundreds of days in a row potentially where the border would be shut down. I rebutted and I asked him, well, what about the limitations on the number of days the border could be shut down? He said, that's one of the bad things in the bill. That's why it needs to be debated to get rid of those bad things. So Representative Siskamani, not in the same chamber, obviously in the House, not in the Senate where this bill would have been debated. He said, but the bad far outweighed the good. We are way past the point of trying to manage this crisis we have to stop it immediately and this bill falls short of that there there's some merit to it and coming together and trying to find some consensus around this there there are things that are good in it i can i can see that as well but the bad outweighs the, the good on this bill And the particulars of this as well, he talked about, he brought up something that I haven't really talked a lot about, but he's right. It wasn't just Republicans that were against this bill. They did not have support from both sides of the aisle. When you look at who opposed the bill over in the Senate, again, I'm not in that chamber, so I don't know the dynamics of what's going on there behind closed doors or anything. But you just got to look at the final vote, and it wasn't even close. And then when you look at the opposition of this, you got from Bernie Sanders all the way to the Freedom Caucus in the House. So it's got more than bipartisan support. It has bipartisan opposition. And so the border security piece of this is necessary. And this is where the gamesmanship bothers me a little bit because we've watched this administration and all of the people in it. We've watched the the voices of this administration and the press secretary. We've watched the vice president who was put in charge of fixing the border problem early in the Biden presidency. And we've watched the Homeland Security secretary whose job it is to secure the border. All say that the border is secure for over three years now. They have been saying it. 
over and over and over again. All of a sudden, this piece of legislation is negotiated by three people. And again, I have no axe to grind with Senator Cinema and what the good things that have been accomplished in trying to get this bill done. But I'm talking about perception from the American people. For three years, we've watched a failed administration. Absolutely. The worst part of the worst failure in this administration has been border security. Not just this is not you're not just listening to a Republican say this. Go and listen to go read the quotes. I would love to. I should have done it. and I didn't. I should have printed out quotes from some of the very liberal voters in Chicago, the mayor of New York, the governor of New York, the governor of Massachusetts, people in the government in Washington, D.C., all of these sanctuary cities and sanctuary states and how critical they've been of this this um, administration's handling of border security. Security because it is they call it Chicago. They're calling it an invasion. That's not an immigration issue. That's a border security issue. So after three plus years of this administration failing on the border, all of a sudden now they're behind a piece of legislation before anybody else had read it. And then when it comes out, you've got people that have serious concerns about it. And the administration says this is the only way we can fix the border. That, that's absolutely not true. There are things that the president can do and the things that the president should do. As a matter of fact, here is Representative Siskamani talking about what the president could do right now. Biden right now could take action and, <laughs> and catch and release, reinstate remain in Mexico and the uh, the, the exploitation of parole authority. And, and, and with his record of failing at this, what this bill also did was gave Mayorkas a lot of discretion on how to apply all this. We can't give Mayorkas any discretion. We have to tell him exactly what to do and when to do it. And I think this has been the best articulation of that, that the president of the United States still could act if he wanted to and he isn't. They are playing politics here and I'm not letting the Republicans off the hook. They are both playing politics with this issue and it's not getting fixed. But you can't lay this at the feet solely of the Republicans because it didn't get to the House, the Senate floor for debate. There were a lot of Democrats against it in the Senate as well. Coming up in a moment, uh, the Arizona legislature votes to compromise on the Arizona election calendar. We're going to talk about what this means for the primary coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you being here. There, We had a discussion here on the show with the, the um, president of the Association of Counties in Arizona, very concerned that we would not be able to meet certain deadlines in order to get ballots out to people. And so they said the legislature needs to act, and they needed to act by today, and they were able to get it done yesterday. Arizona lawmakers gave lopsided approval to legislation designed to ensure an automatic vote recount provision won't disrupt this year's election. It's the first paragraph of the story from the Arizona Republic, Mary Jo Pitzel. Um, Senate President Warren Peterson said, I'm happy to say Arizona will deliver its electors on time. Uh, the Senate voted 24 to 2. The uh, House voted 56 to 2 in order to pass this measure. The governor said, I appreciate the legislators who stood firm to protect voters and remove partisan politics from this bill. While this legislation isn't perfect, it's result of it is it's the result of hard fought compromises from everyone involved. So as, as far as I know, as of right now, the governor has not signed this, but it sounds as if she is going to. Um, 
Republicans won some policies they say will boost voter confidence in the election, and a previously they previously were felled by the veto pen. Um, key among these are embedding signature verification guidelines in state law, as opposed to the current case where they are overseen by the Arizona Secretary of State. Other provisions allow political parties to get daily reports of ballots and come back with questionable or missing signatures. Um, so uh, uh, th- this is both sides of the aisle. But what happened was the requirement for an automatic trigger of a of a recount was moved up. In other words, the likelihood of that happening now is better than it was before. It was very rare before, and it's still going to remain rare, but there is more of a likelihood. The concern was in the primary, in our primary in August. The biggest concern was if the primary date fell when it was supposed to, that if there was an automatic recount triggered, that the counties in Arizona would not be able to count those votes, certify that election, print ballots, and mail them out to people that didn't live in Arizona, namely members of the military that are scattered all over the world. I think right now we have about 800 people in the National Guard from Arizona that are deployed around the world. So um, making sure that those people can vote was paramount. The other part of it, so what they did was this will move the primary date back. The reason why the date was so critical of getting it done this week is because there needs to be time now when all the notifications go out from all of the counties about the primary date and what you can do. And we're going to end up, I hope we're going to talk soon with uh, Stephen Richer from Maricopa County uh, about these dates because notification has to be sent to people that the primary date has been moved forward a week. Candidates have to know it for all the races and everything else, but you also need to have the electorate ready. Independent voters, Republicans, Democrats, everyone needs to be notified of the new date. There has to be plenty of time for them to be able to put out that notification. But with this being done, when the governor signs it, because it was a supermajority, more than two-thirds in the House and the Senate, it will go into effect immediately after the governor's signature. So that's good news because this now gives them the opportunity to get information out to the voting public, which, you know, I'm going to throw a little – promo out here to our news team and everybody here at KTAR News. We are committed to giving you the best coverage on the election. The news team is going to be on it daily on every one of our shows here. Now with all of these local shows that we have, we are going to be focused, laser focused on the Arizona elections, even the national ones and how they how they uh, affect us. But we want you to be as an informed voter as you can be. You can do it at KTAR.com. All the interviews we're going to have because this is the most important election of our lifetime. We say it every election cycle, and it's true every election cycle. Now with the moving of the primary date, you just need to be informed. What's interesting about that is it's not going to affect most people because if you didn't tell them the date was changed, but you sent them a notification that here's the primary date, they wouldn't be worried about it till it's closer to the primary. So I don't think this is going to be a big interruption in people's lives. But what it will do is ensure that if you are not in Arizona at the time of the election, you will be able to get your ballot in time. I think that's critical. If these other measures are put in there that make it easier to vote and harder to cheat, I'm in favor of that as well. I don't think any of that's bad news for the voters here. Now, we're not we're not going to settle the controversy, certainly not with this piece of legislation. It's not going to settle the controversy about mail-in voting. There are people – I was just at an event, people upset about the way the elections are running. We have way too long to mail-in votes, and it should be election day, not election month. But I don't think that's going to change. So what they're going to have to settle for, I believe 
believe, is a system in which it is as secure as possible with the time frame that people have to vote. There are some people that question the mail-in ballots and how they can be compromised. I just want to remind people, I've never, I've never voted by mail. Not because I'm against it, but because I'm one of the people that likes to go to the polls. I like that getting in line, being with other voters, and going there and kind of doing my civic duty. I just like it that way. Uh, but we have to recognize that before the controversy of the 2020 election and otherwise, mail-in voting was predominantly Republican voters. So, you know, there's a lot of controversy about it. But if we can improve the system and satisfy many people, they may not be happy that it still exists, but let's satisfy some of the concerns. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we're going to go back to the issue, what I think is a bombshell of a story. The president of the United States not charged in the document scandal, but what happened is they say the DOJ says it's because of his memory, possibly as part of the reason. Should this president run for reelection after what the DOJ says? We're going to get on that coming up in a moment. 